When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I am so proud of Lady for Sale still, which is such an amazing feeling. You know, as a, I, I'm an actress as well, and I feel like I've done only a handful of things in my career that I'm just like, I love that. And I stand by it and think it's so cool. And Lady for Sale, to me, is that. It's, you know, it, it didn't do what I exactly wanted it to do or thought it could do because I believe in it so much. In, in terms of like a astronomical success. But I do feel that it was a successful representation of my vision and, and my feelings and, and this incredible kind of intense moment in my life, which is what so much of that is about. I mean, the record is about basically exploding your life to go and be with someone or do something that's risky. Welcome to Yesterday's Concert, a podcast that celebrates live music. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode we talk to singer-songwriter Lola Kirk. We discuss the one-year anniversary of her country 80s pop album, Lady for Sale. Grab your earplugs, despite what Lola says. So... I'm here with Lola Kirk. We're going to talk about the one-year anniversary of Lady for Sale today. But before we do, Lola, how are you today? I am doing good. I, I am I am tired, but happy. Well, you have been on the road with one of yesterday's concerts, favorite artist, Miss Margot Price. I how has that her. been? Oh my God, I love her so much. Yeah, I I just saw she announced some new dates and I was just like, maybe I should just like follow her in like a further bus or something. <laughs> She, she, I got to see her when she was still playing teeny tiny bars and it was one of the most like transformative shows I've ever seen. Like I was on the back of like six or seven shows and it was hands down the best one. And it's still such a vivid memory of seeing her in that. And like, I even snuck backstage after the show to meet her and say hello and everything. Like it was such a, like, and she was incredibly nice. And like Coulter Wall was hanging out backstage too. He'd opened and got to hang out with him. It was a really great night. And so ever since then I have, I mean, I love her music, but I thought so fondly of her ever since that night. It was just, she is so talented. She is. It's a great combination of, we like, sometimes there's this unfortunate thing that happens where it's good guys, bad band. GGBB is we call it in the biz, but she's GGGB. <laughs> <laughs> Took me a while to figure that one out, but her band is also just like so incredible and such lovely dudes. Well, well, so I mentioned before we started recording that we're going to do a couple icebreakers. So this is a good segue yeah. into the very first icebreaker. She's such a prolific songwriter. Is there a song from her discography that you would love to steal and claim it as your own? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I feel like Desperate and Depressed is pretty great. Mm. I, you know, I, I love um, her duet with Willie Nelson, too, off of All American Made. It's yes. a pretty amazing thing. To get to to get to do a duet with Willie Nelson is a, is a dream. So, Well, we'll put that on your bucket list then. 
It have to happen. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we'll will it into existence. Yes. Will so. it into existence. Okay, that was a terrible pun. <laughs> I've been writing all day, so my brain is... I, I feel like I need to get to, like, a, a boundary with myself about, like, how many hours I can spend writing anything because it's certainly... I think it, you know, work smarter, not harder. And I, I don't work... I work hard, but not that smart. Well, if you're coming up with puns like that, though, I think you should throw yourself fully into it just because that was amazing. Like that brightened oh my, my day so thank much. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, thank throw you. Throw yourself into your work. It works. So, okay. So question number two, what's your favorite venue in Nashville for live music? Oh, I mean, I love the Nashville Palace. It feels weird to not say the Ryman right there. But mm -hmm. like, because I love the Ryman too, obviously, that's amazing. But the Nashville Palace is my top spot. I don't even think I've heard of that place. It's like typically just like a lot of bar, like house bands and stuff. Like it's not like a lot of artists that like tour definitely not play there. I'm mm -hmm. trying to do a show there at some point. So maybe you can come to that. But uh, that. It's, just, it's an amazing bar in Donaldson, like right by the airport. And one okay. of my dreams, which definitely feels attainable, I just would need to like do it, is to like get off the airplane and go straight to the bar. You should definitely do that. <laughs> I, should, I mean, that's so easy. It's like five minutes away. So it's a great place. If, if anyone's just landing in Nashville, go to the Nashville Palace. Have fun. So next question, scale of one to 10. How amazing is Careless Whisper by George Michaels? <laughs> I mean, so good. I got. I have like a big, sorry, I, I'm currently using for those of you who who don't, who can't see me, uh, one of those head dingler things. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a whisk that someone cut the bottom off of. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. I love George Michael. I mean, I got really into, um, freedom. If you want it, what's it? The, I mean, that like amazing album over, over, um, Thanksgiving. I was listening to it a lot. So good. Have you heard of Sexy Sax Man, Sergio Flores on YouTube? No, no. Okay, it's. I'll send you the link afterwards. It's this guy, he he puts on like a mullet, he's shirtless, he wears suspenders and these super tight black leather pants, and he run, He just like bursts into like Walmart and stuff playing like the Careless Whisper saxophone part, and then he just like runs out. Like there, He like runs into like a classroom at one point and does it, and it's just what? amazing. That is, I mean, that would be like if that happened to me right now. Sergio the sax man just burst in with the sax part of that. Yes. I, I, I think I would never be sad again. Oh, how could you? I mean, it's Sir Sexy Sax Man. I mean, if you knew that that was like a possibility in your life, that like someone would run in and just spark joy in such a carelessly wonderful way, you know? You're doing um, it again. You're doing it I'm again. I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. Doesn't <laughs> even make it. sense. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you a, a careless whisper saxagram order to your house or Thank to you. the to the to the Mashville Palace while you're performing. I'm gonna that's oh, what I'm gonna do. Oh, that would be just too much. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. You're welcome. Okay, so next question. So this is off of you did an AMA on Instagram earlier this week. Yeah, I did. And there's a question that I want to bring back. <laughs> it was such a terrible question. <laughs> Which do you enjoy more? Eating or music? I mean, eating, obviously. I mean, you know, both I, I need to do to survive. And I guess both have their downsides. Like, I can eat too much, you know? Yeah. I, I often do. I, before, it was, like, gauche to, to like Louis C.K. And mm -hmm. I don't condone his behavior. He did have this one amazing, like, bit, which was, like, 
I don't eat till I'm full. I eat till I hate myself. And I just feel like that was like, yes, I felt very seen by that. Um, so yeah, eating. Well, so I was having a philosophical conversation today with someone about it's the things that we love the most that are actually killing us. Because I was like, mm -hmm. I go to hundreds of live music shows a year yeah. and like it's slowly eroding, eroding my ability to hear, which is taking away yeah. the very thing that I love the most. But it's the same thing with food. Like I love fried chicken. Therefore, I eat more right. fried chicken. But I'm dying because I'm eating fried chicken. Right. Like. I wouldn't be like, oh, I want to eat healthy food. Like when I talk yes. about loving eating, it's it's not healthy things. Oh, absolutely not. Also, like I feel like we, I, I'm, I get the warning from my phone that like I'm listening to music too loud. Like every time, mm -hmm. I need to start being one of those people that doesn't do that. But I don't understand the point of listening to music not loud. Oh, I get that. Do you wear earplugs when you perform no. or when you go? No, you don't? no, I really don't. And so my dad was in uh my dad's drummer he was in free and bad company a hard hard drummer hard rock yes <laughs> not to be confused with the hard rock cafe but uh <laughs> anyway he like cannot hear like literally yeah and, like so growing up he used to drive me around a lot and i would be able to listen to music like so loud in the car mm -hmm. just because it wouldn't really you know get through to him and i feel like i should take a cue from him and he has started wearing little little hearing aids oh. and it's so cute like now now i'm gonna start crying about like my parents mortality but now he's he's uh, he's gonna live more. forever he's free he's gotta live forever rock and roll will never die exactly yeah exactly yeah. anyway i should wear hearing aids or hearing things earplugs well i mean my wife is an audiologist so it's like if i don't uh, wear them i get scolded and i mean rightfully uh, so i should wear them no we should all wear them but it just it's just a bummer it is. It's good to just feel it deep in your skull when you're laying in bed later that night. It's just the way to do it. Absolutely. Also, I just feel like nothing like it's like going to meet up with a friend thinking that you're going to have like a great night. And they're like, oh, I'm not drinking. Like when I see when I see like little blue ear plugs poking uh -huh. out of like a friend's ears, I'm like, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, I will, I will not wear my earplugs when I come Don't to see you in concert. Wear earplugs around me. No, no, no. Wear earplugs. Protect <laughs> your ears. Take time off. Eat healthy foods. You know all the all the things. Okay, so last icebreaker, and then we'll get into the actual conversation. Mm, I feel the ice is broken, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I go agree, ahead. but let's go deeper in this relationship. I want to be best yeah. friends now. Okay, okay so okay, okay. <laughs> I read that the band is one of your favorite bands. Yeah. Do you have a favorite album by them? Which one do you love the most? What if I, I'm like cahoots? Um, no, I love um, I I love the self-titled one, and I love Stage Fright. And then, I mean, yeah, music from the Big Pink is obviously great too. Anyway, I love those like three, but yeah. I really, really do love Stage Fright probably the most. What about you? I, I mean, I know it's cliche, but Big Pink, I, I think yeah. so. Yeah, uh, like it's, it's just so many. I mean, I grew up, I grew up on classic rock radio and just like to hear those songs, like yeah. in repetition and everything. It's just, it like fulfills something deep within me. Yeah. It's, it's great. Cause I mean, like my dad saw Peter Frampton in 1978 and like, I constantly ask him to like retell the story to me. of like seeing him and like yeah. him talking about like women throwing their underwear on stage at him and everything like, and I'm like, dad, just tell me the story over and over. And that's what it's like listening to big pink. It's like hearing that my dad tell me yeah. that story over and over. Glory days. Yes. Glory days. I mean, it really, nothing is, I, I hate to to say this because it feels like it's a bleak future, but there's like really nothing better than like 60s and 70s classic rock. It's tough to beat it. Like everything, 
and I love other kinds of music. Like, I just don't know that it can be done again. What was so revolutionary for, and especially for the time, like, I mean, cause that's even like, I mean, like Margaret Price, I love her and I think she's brilliant oh, she's in amazing. every way, she's, she's working in the tradition, but she's pulling so much of that, that lineage as well and what she does. So, I mean, it's just, maybe people will be pulling stuff from lady for sale in 20 years. I know, but I was pulling things. I mean, <laughs> this is a perfect segue. Like I feel like at this point, <laughs> <laughs> for my TED talk, <laughs> you thought this was an interview, and I'm coming in here hot. No, bring it. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> so I feel like at this point, being an, a musician is to work within like a legacy and a framework and a tradition, and to not be like aware of your musical ancestors and not like pay homage to them is like very odd and like stupid <laughs> to me. It's stupid insofar as like you have like the world at your fingertips with your phone right now. Like you should be exposed. Like it's not. It's no longer a matter of like, oh, like you, you know, you don't have like, you didn't go to a school that necessarily educated you about these things or you're not from this part of the world. Like if you can like go on TikTok and like watch a married couple in Wisconsin, like, I don't know, bicker and be funny because that's what they do for their weird TikTok brand. <laughs> this, I know that sounds specific, but there's like so many couples on TikTok. Then you can like go and like listen to obscure David Bowie records and like educate yourself. As you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah. that that was one of the things about Lady for Sale that struck me was it, it felt really comfortable because it felt like something I'd heard before. But at the same time, it felt very new and fresh because it, it was something different. Because, I mean, you, you blend like 80s pop and country really well on this album. Oh, thank you so much. It was so fun to do that, too. And like... I, I wonder, I'm like, how am I going to swallow this up? I mean, I love genre and I think that genre is so exciting. And like, I don't know if I can make another record that like blends those two things together. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could, but I, I feel like I might just like go deeper into the genre of country music and, and discover something there. Um, but yeah, I, I was so fun to explore all that kind of music. And, and it was interesting, like to see the response, like a lot of people really didn't get it. <laughs> um, like I, I remember reading reviews cause I'm a masochist and some <laughs> of the reviews were just like, like no one asked for this. <laughs> like this, this album would be great if there wasn't a synth on it. And I was like, that was the whole point. Yeah. That was the whole fucking point. Excuse my language. I don't care. Okay, great. We're cool. We're grown up. We curse. <laughs> <laughs> NBD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's late uh, it's, it's four o'clock guys <laughs> it's four three we're running the, the midnight oil yeah. we're burning it now so uh so i mean like and i'm sure you've been asked this before but like what was the inspiration behind blending those two genres together i mean like was that a conscious decision or is it just something oh, that like absolutely so i co-wrote uh most of the songs all the Songs, the producer of that record, Austin Jenkins, who is incredible. He wrote and produced the first Leon Bridges record and was in white denim for a long time and um, had a great studio in Fort Worth. And we had made a duets record together that was much more kind of old school country inspired. He was very much like, hey, like your music, like, isn't as fun as you are. <laughs> like, why is that? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, 
you're like bright. Like I'm really fun, and like if I if, if I am nothing if not fun. Like that's really all I have going for me. You know, I haven't then, picked like, up on that in our conversation today so far. It's this is really a shocker right <laughs> thank now. You. <laughs> I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, no, I mean, he was just like, why, why do you want to like, what are you trying to do? Like, this is like lean into what you you have, and then like. I started listening to a lot of Judds at that time and was just, like, so inspired by them. And then, I don't know, I just, like, I, I through that, like, the Judds and that comment about being fun and then, like, getting into other, like, uh, 80s country of that time and just hearing, like, nobody was, like, referencing that yet. And it just felt like a really fresh angle to approach things from. And, like, brave and scary and a risk. And it certainly did, like, impact, I think, the listenership of the record. Because it doesn't fit into genre uh, necessarily. So, and that's, like, the impossible part of today is, like, if you don't fit into genre or zeitgeist, it, it's really, really hard to kind of break through. Which mm -hmm. is fine. <laughs> it was kind of like a letdown. But it is funny. Like, I remember when I, I, I mean, my experience of playing it live has been, like, incredible response i feel like when people actually like get to hear it they can enjoy it but i think that it's hard to do something new and different when that's not really like rewarded even when that new and different thing is like referencing something old which nobody has done yet i'll be frank like i have a this thing i call it the big head todd syndrome because when i was in high school there was a big head todd in the monsters live album called live monsters and i listened to it so much and i loved it but it was everything that I needed from Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Like I didn't need to go hear any of the rest of his discography because I got everything that I needed from that band yeah. on that one album. Oh, interesting. There's been a few other artists that have kind of fit into that category, but he, that album specifically. And when I listened to Hearthead West for the first time, I kind of it felt that I was like, "Oh, I'm getting everything I need from her in this album." It's it perfectly. Oh, like it really was filling me up, and I like was listening to it so much. And then, like, you had, you know, Letty for sale there, and it was, maybe I should check this out, you know, kind of force. I mean, even, like, the Raconteurs, now that I think about it, their first album was like that for a long, long time for me. I pushed myself to listen to Lady for Sale, and like you were saying, I did pick up on the fun, and it kind of expanded that for me to where it was like, there is more here than I think. And it, Lady for Sale has far surpassed my opinion of Head Heart Head West. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to hear that. I, it was kind of discouraging when I was prepping for our conversation to read, like, you kind of have negative emotions toward Hearthead West now. Is that I know. Well, I just don't know that I, it's not negative emotions to the record. I love, I love that record. And, and, uh, I just don't know that it represents me. And I don't know that I would make that record again. Like, I feel like I would make Lady for Sale again. <laughs> like, if I could, like, I would do it. But I feel like I don't, I didn't know who I was really when I was making art at West musically or who I wanted to be musically. Like, I think I was still very wanting to fit into something rather than to stand out. Mm -hmm. And, and not that like, you know, I, I mean, wanting to stand out, like not believing in myself that mm -hmm. I could stand out. Like I just wanted to like do the best pos possible mm -hmm. version of, of something that was already happening. And I, I you know, I, I don't, I don't know that that sureness of self has, lasted or pervaded who i am musically now i think it was just mm -hmm. like a moment and i'm trying to find yeah. it again uh, so I, I feel like i really knew who i was and got to put my best foot forward with lady for sale in a way that i i wasn't sure how to do with hardhead west yet well was it a, a cathartic experience to kind of rectify that situation when you wrote lady for sale then 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I also just like didn't, <laughs> I don't know. It was something I wrote over a really long time. And a lot of the songs I ended up rewriting with Austin. They they started like, I mean, Stay Drunk was like a really sad ballad. <laughs> and then like, we just like tried to put it into a different kind of zone. And that meant like rewriting a lot of melodies and changing the tempo, obviously. And yeah, I, I think that... Um, it was really fulfilling to see how close we get to a reference in a lot of ways. And those references like weren't just the Judds. There was like a lot of really weird uh, references on there. I mean, like a song like Nobody by Sylvia was a big one for us. Um, there was a lot of like, like Janie Fricky, like really weird, obscure country that like, people think it is just like cheesy unless they're like 85 years old and their name is Rose and they live in mm -hmm. the suburbs. Yeah. And I want to hang out with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> One of the things that I picked up on when I was, cause you know, I mentioned that it was comfortable, but it felt new. The thing that I was catching was like, it was kind of the heavy synth sounds that were kind of the familiar part about it. But a lot of the vocal melody, cause I couldn't figure out why I was like, it sounds so eighties. But what's the country aspect that I'm hearing aside from just like the slide guitar? Oh, interesting. And yeah. I, I picked up that it's the vocal melodies that were the distinctly country part about it. Is that, am I on to something or is that like? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that was the other thing. Like, one of, there's like literally one of the things that Austin made me do. And there was, he was like, <laughs> say it like, say it like Jim Carrey in East Ventura. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. not that that's country at all, but. He was just like, have as much fun with vocal melodies as you can. Mm -hmm. um, and like, you know, I don't, I don't really play music in like a, I don't really, I'm like, I don't really play music. So it's not like I know where to go and what notes to sing that would fit inside like a certain scale or blah, blah, blah. So it was a lot of, it was a lot, of, there were a lot of mistakes made. Mistakes were made, but eventually, um, I feel like we got something really fun. And and my references, you know, something that I love about Margot so much was I was like, oh, like we have like similar, I can tell we have similar vocal idols. Mm. Like there's a similar aesthetic and, and taste yeah. that like, because I think all artists, whether they know it or not, are referencing things, mm -hmm. are working within a framework. And it's really exciting to me to meet other singers who are like, oh yeah, like I love that kind of classic country mm -hmm. style. And like, I'm going to sing like that instead of like, I don't know what's popular now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, I mean, like you saying that about Margo and like the similarities in the vocal melody, one of the songs that I picked up on that was pink sky. Mm. Like that would, I, I really, especially in the chorus, like I could hear Margo doing that as well, but I mean, you do it really great. I don't want to like dismiss that at all, <laughs> but like, I really, I mean, truly like I adore the chorus, like the vocal melody in the oh, chorus of that you. song. Can you tell me the story of that song? Like, I, I just, that's my favorite song on the album. Like how it was written yeah, or yeah. what it's about? Oh, oh both. <laughs> okay, so um, it was about, it's about like waiting for someone to come home and then like, okay, so I guess that song, first of all, that song didn't have a chorus originally. Mm. The chorus when I wrote it was the No Rush pre-chorus. Mm. And then when I played it for Austin, he was like, that's not a chorus. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, like, no. <laughs> um, and then like a few hours were spent playing with like a different with that melody and playing with some like really dumb lyrics that I like like he would be like, what about like Red Wolf running away? Yeah. <laughs> that like that was his like version of that. And then Pink Sky eventually that eventually came. And I'm so happy that 
he pushed me. There was a lot of that involved. But the song is about just like waiting for someone who says that they're coming to come home and they don't. And the no rush part, like for me, I feel like regardless of whether or not I'm waiting, I am a, I'm a person that rushes as if there is some end in sight or some judgment coming and just telling myself like, there's no, there's no rush. Like he's not coming back soon. And like you're, or whatever, it's not going to happen that soon. So just like relax. Like, I don't know, the mantra of just like telling yourself to relax and be safe because, you know, nothing crazy is going to happen. Well, that's, I read in another interview with you that you were talking about like the great thing of, as an actor, the great thing about country music is the ability to like musical costumes. Yeah. Where you can jump oh, into yeah. like, like somebody. And country affords you that pretty much better than any other genre is going to allow you to. Yeah. So is that, so is a lot of this album more, jumping into musical costume or is it a lot of autobiographical or how, how did you kind of approach that? Oh, it's both. I mean, I, 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 as an actor, I firmly believe, and as a person who is an actress, I believe that, you know, you can live more truthfully through mm -hmm. the mask. You can exist kind of more, you can be more expensive in, in a costume. I mean, and especially for me, country music is a costume, you know, like I am a, like New York Jewess, basically. <laughs> like I am not, <laughs> I am like so not, you know, from a world that was like country uh, adjacent at all. We didn't really, I listened to classic country music growing up and I loved it. Um, but I wasn't listening to contemporary country radio, except for the songs that really like broke through, which were like Shania and Faith Hill and some Garth Brooks and all of that. But, but not, not the kind of more classic stuff that a lot of my friends who are living in Nashville, uh, like did grow up on. But I still love country music so much because I do think that the themes and the stories are something that are universal. And I, I love the strength of women in country. I love the vulnerability of men in country. And I, I really do often think of this Kenny Wynette quote, which I can't remember exactly, but it's like basically something to the effect that like rock and roll is too soft, like next to country. Like that's like the hardest thing that there is because you can exist so fully and so simply and and increasingly as a writer i appreciate country because the great country songs do simplify and distill some of the most complicated feelings and um and and use humor a lot of the time so all of those things really appeal to me and and in a way while it is a costume it doesn't feel like a costume really at all because it's it's very real for me well, I mean, you're, you're telling, you're telling stories. You're, I mean, that's the whole time you're talking, I was like, yeah. John Prine, John Prine, John Prine. Like he just kept coming to mind. Oh, cool. And the, the thing about, I love about John Prine is like, he's so relatable in yeah, all the stories yeah. that he's telling. It makes you, I mean, and I think that's the thing about country that you're hitting on too. Is like, they are telling these complex stories, but they're also incredibly relatable. It's something that we can all attest to. We can all feel yeah. and relate to on a personal level. So I think that also just kind of, it's not necessarily a costume because it's who we are. Yeah. And also, like, it's not like it, it's inviting. Mm -hmm. It allows you in. Like, it's accessible. And I, I think, like, I, while I love a lot of indie music, I'm like, I sometimes, I mean, I feel like oh, it pushes you out. It's opaque. You're not, you have to be kind of cool in a certain way to get it. And then I think, you know, there are trends now in indie music where it's, like, so detailed. And I think, like, through, you know, the you know through the specific you can't access the universal but sometimes i'm like that's so specific 
I don't know that I actually really get it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's something really, really generous about country music. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you, in a, in a sort of roundabout way, I think you kind of addressed that on your song, Lady for Sale, because I mean, it's all about creating art and then not being accepted for your art or having to do other things to get your art out there in a way. Yeah. Just kind of a dismissal of ourselves. Absolutely. Yes. I, I feel very zen. Thank you, Lance. <laughs> you know, that song, I feel like kind of encapsulates the album of wanting to break the mold, yet you're kind of pitching yourself as a commodity and we're creating art for ourselves, yet seeking approval of others yes. to accept the art that we're making. Yeah. And so I, I think my question is like when you, cause I know you had a bit of a struggle to actually get the album released. Yeah. Like you had to shop it pretty extensively, but now that you've gotten it out there and you're getting feedback, even the negative feedback, do you have a sense of like gratitude that the art is being accepted and being seen like that? Yeah. I mean, I think what's been really nice about the kind of slow burn of acceptance that lady for sale has experienced is that I, I trust that the people that accept it really, really do get it and really do like it and want to actually engage with it instead of it being like a smash that just kind of like everyone likes because other people like it. I mean, you know, yeah. that would be great. I get it. <laughs> but, but also like, I really know that the people who like it get it. And that, that feels so special instead of just like, Oh, I like one song and, and everything else you have to say doesn't appeal to me. Like there's something really, really, I feel like holistically embraced by those who like this record because I know that they had to seek it out. You know, they had to put it on. They had to really, and that makes me happy. But I, I do like struggle all the time with like the kind of slow burn of an actual career versus this like phenomenal ascent that you read about all of the time and there's something so exciting to me about like i've i've toured more than i ever had uh over the past year or so and will continue to throughout the rest of this year and like seeing how like that like generates like more connection like it is like the act of like going out and playing for people is what like brings people together mm -hmm. <laughs> like you can't like fake yeah. that really i mean you can kind of cheat it with tiktok and all this other stuff but like it takes a while and like it, regardless of the the high speed world that we live in like some things still do just take time and effort and like hard work i did want to talk about kind of the live show because i've, I've looked at some of your more recent set lists and it's exclusively lady for sale basically like there's no yeah well except yeah. for one cover <laughs> for the most part but yeah i mean is there like why no heart head west then um honestly it's like a matter of well i for the most part i've been opening this year um so i'm playing for people who have never heard my music for the most part and i want them to experience like the thing that's most current and get on board with that um, I will be playing stuff from Hardhead West and from my duets record and from my first EP when I go out on the road um, later this year when I'm doing headlining. Shows. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't have that much time on stage, you know, uh, when you're opening. Margot gave me a really generous amount of time with 45 minutes, but typically you're playing half an hour. And with the amount that I talk, that's like, you know, <laughs> that's like nothing. Um, no, I don't talk that much on stage because I embarrass myself. But yeah, I mean, also, I was not touring with a traditional full band. It's, it's, it's hard out there to tour. And I have been able to kind of 
cobble together this incredible trio. Well, it's me and two others. Uh, so two people are incredible. <laughs> but it's uh, I've had Josh Taylor, who's an amazing multi-instrumentalist, play um, steel and guitar and sing. And then Alex Wong, who's a great uh, singer-songwriter and drummer and plays everything, drum, sing, and then he plays all the tracks on the computer. And so it's kind of hard because we don't actually have like a bass player. I, I say this to, I've been saying this a lot lately. I'm like, I'd be scared if I were a bass player because people are bringing out tracks more and more. But yeah, so it's hard for us to like play things from Hardhead West or from my other records because we're not a full band. So, so we really just kind of are working with what we got is my extreme answer. I listened to the, the Christmas Alone EP. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is that kind of, I, I mean, that was, I was shocked to hear all these like pop songs. Like, re, I mean, you really transformed them more to like a Western kind of sound to them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I mean, is that kind of how the live versions are going now? Like kind of more? No, I mean, we're playing, we sound more like the record than we would okay. if we had like an actual band because we are playing with half the record. We are playing mm -hmm. like, I mean, we have the synth and the bass um, and then a bunch of like other random sounds because that record has some really weird sounds on it, um, all in the computer. So, so, and we're all singing harmonies and stuff, but yeah, it sounds more like the record than, than anything else, I think. And it's been so fun to do that on stage. Well, that's cool. Well, as we kind of start to wrap up, I, I want to talk, we've talked about a lot but, about the album, but I want to look at it from a, from a perspective of being a year out. Yeah. So celebrating it later this week when this is released how do you feel about the album's success so far? You kind of answered this earlier, but let's hear a little more. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am so proud of Lady for Sale still, which is such an amazing feeling. You know, as a, I, I'm an actress as well, and I feel like I've done only a handful of things in my career that I'm just like, I love that, and I stand by it and think it's so cool. And Lady for Sale to me is that it's you know it, it didn't do what I exactly wanted it to do or thought it could do because I believe in it so much in, in terms of like a, you know, astronomical success. But I, I do feel that it was a successful like uh, representation of my vision and, and my feelings and, and this incredible kind of intense moment in my life, which is what so much of that is about. I mean, the record is about basically exploding your life to go and be with someone or do something that's risky <laughs> and it's yeah. about risk in a lot of ways. And so I feel just really, really grateful to to be able to have written about that and to sing about that. I love singing so much. And um, I also just feel like intense gratitude for all of the artists that have loved it and have brought me out. I mean, First Aid Kit and Margot and El King and Courtney Marie Andrews and Jenny Lewis. And like, I've gotten my friend Alexis Taylor from Hot Trip. Like I've gotten, there have been some artists who I have admired for so long who have just like dug the record and said like, let's do something together. And that has been incredible. And Third Man has been incredible. Like I, I am so grateful to it. So it didn't do everything I thought maybe it could do, but it did so much more than I ever kind of even dreamed of it being able to do. Can we, can, all those artists you just listed, can you get all of them to do a festival together? Like a, a, oh, a one-day or two-day? Oh, that would be so fun. Oh, oh my gosh, that would to. be the best. That would I be like know. such a killer lineup. 
It would be such a killer lineup. Yeah, I like kick myself for the fact that that's true. And and also like it's been so fun. I love co-writing and I've been able to write with some of like the coolest writers in Nashville. I also one of one of the coolest things that happened to me from the record. So one of the biggest inspirations for the record was Roseanne Cash, um, who Seven Year Ache was just like huge for me. And I had the opportunity to do a very, very cool workshop with Roseanne last summer. And she remains such a good friend of mine. And it's just like, I can't believe it. Like literally it, a psychic told me I should listen to seven year eight, like three years ago and, or four years ago, whatever the hell that was. And I listened to it and I was like, this is the best song ever. This is the best record. Oh my God. And then that same psychic, my friend, Perry, Perry Lyon, she's incredible. It's actually her birthday today. Uh, shout Perry, out. Uh, shout out to Perry. Um, like was like, I think you need to work with Roseanne Cash. And I was like, okay, dream on, you crazy. And then like a week later, I got an email from Roseanne Cash at like 11 o'clock at night that was like, oh hey, like I've been trying to get in touch with you. Like, would you come and do this thing with me in New York? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in, like, not, you know, not to bury the lead on that, but like I, I've, I've gotten, this has been such a, this record has been such an amazing gift to me and gotten me to go so many other places beyond just like having the opportunity to make it and sing it. Well, I mean, much like that last question, I, I, you've kind of already answered it, but I want to go a little deeper. Like, I know you don't have the foresight to answer this properly, but do you feel like this is an album that will kind of define your career moving forward? I mean, I don't know. I hope so. I hope that I'm able to be as like innovative and free as I as I um, was with this record. And I hope that people continue to discover it because I feel like when they do, they like it. And if they don't like it, you know, whatevs. <laughs> it's I whatevs. They're boring. Not my problem. Moving on to the next project, do you think you will lean more heavily into the '80s pop set, or do you think you're going back more to the country? I think it's going to probably at the moment uh it feels like it's gonna be more country um but i do love i do love like how much fun the 80s pop stuff has kind of yeah. allowed me to have on stage and with myself and so i feel like there might be some way to continue that marriage i've got the idea for you i've got it Tell me. This? yeah triple album first disc country second disc 80s third disc blended Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. I mean, me and Morgan Wallen releasing the triple albums over here, you know. <laughs> it's just a normal thing. Everyone's doing it now. Um, I mean, what better way to blow up the scene with something that nobody else is doing except for Morgan Wallen? I mean, the exact company you want to keep, right? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. He does have a song though that was like, I think it's called, I think it's the title track. There's some song on there that is like full 80s power rock that he's doing. See? Yeah, I know. I mean, there See, you go. There I go. Yeah. I, I feel like I should ask another question so we don't end on Morgan Wallen. Yeah, let's like yeah definitely. Let's go. Okay, so uh, what are you excited about in the next three days? What's something you're excited about? <gasps> I feel like I'm doing something really fun. I'm actually going to see Tommy Prime tonight. He's doing a residency here uh, cool. in the basement. So I'm really excited about that. And then I feel like I am really excited about something this weekend. Now I can't remember. I'm doing something Saturday night. Ah, I'm going to this dinner with like all the most amazing women I know in Nashville on Saturday night. So that's going to be really fun. And I'm excited to just chill and pet my dog because I've been doing a lot of writing this week. And I, I need like a reason to turn off the writing. Otherwise, I could just write forever. 
Well, if it keeps you with Willie Nelson puns, I'm fully in favor of you keeping it right. Thank okay. You. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, so get back to work that. so we can have more Willie okay, puns. Okay. Great. 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 <laughs> well, Lola, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, this has been so fun. And I hope I get to meet you in person in Memphis sometimes. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yesterday's Concert. Thoughts? Similar experiences? Disagree? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. Or you can email us at info at yesterdaysconcert.com. If you're feeling kind, give us a review on Apple Podcast. Otherwise, until next time, give us a subscribe, check out our website, yesterdaysconcert.com, and most importantly, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.